Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Advantage of our nursery at this time as well. If you've got babies, we've got a great quality child care over there in that section of the building. The rest of you can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we're continuing through this great short book from the Apostle Paul. And as you're turning there, many of you may not have heard of this individual. Maybe some of you have. His name is Harold Camping. Harold Camping was the late pastor and prophecy teacher of a ministry called Family Radio. It was based in California and reached thousands of people across the nation. Well, back in May 21st of 2011, he predicted that would be the date of the rapture. That Christians would be raptured May 21st, 2011, followed by five months of terrible plagues where millions of people would die, and finally on September 21st of 2011, that would be the end of the world where the world would be destroyed by fire. Well, here we are, and May 21st, 2011 has come and gone, and when nothing happened on that day, Pundits began to ask Harold Camping, well, what happened? And he said, well, it was, quote-unquote, a spiritual judgment on America. Now, here's the thing that had happened. Back in September 1994, he also predicted that would be the date of the end. His ministry spent over $5 million on billboards all across America warning people of this date of May 21, 2011. And here's the sad thing. Many of these people across the world began selling their homes. They began quitting their jobs. They began getting rid of their 401ks. And then when nothing happened, they got really mad at him. And they began to accuse him of being a cult leader. Well, there was radio silence after October 21st, 2011 when nothing happened. And basically, his ministry kind of went into shambles, lost a lot of money. It's barely a shell of a ministry today. But here's the thing that's interesting. To his credit, Harold Camping secretly, in a radio interview behind the scenes, admitted that no one can set the date for the end, and that he was wrong and sinful for doing that, and that people that accused him of setting dates were rightfully so in criticizing him. And to this day, after his death, and after 2011 has come and gone, with no rapture and no destruction of the world, many of his followers are disillusioned because they gave everything up to follow this man's teachings. Now last week, we explored the second coming of Christ. And if you remember Paul's burden last week in our text was not to give us 
charts and graphs and give us all the intricacies of the end times events and he wasn't going to talk about the millennium or the mark of the beast or or talking about implant chips or all these things that sometimes we talk about with the end times that's not his burden his burden last week his purpose his aim was to comfort to comfort grieving christians who had lost a loved one And they needed to have the hope of the gospel to realize that because Christ had died and risen again, there's going to come a day when those who have died before us will rise again. And Paul very clearly said there's an order to the events. If you remember from last week, there's a specific order of how these things are going to happen. The Lord himself will come back at the second coming. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first to meet him in the air. We who are still alive will be caught up in the twinkling of an I will be changed in an instant and we will meet the Lord in the air. And so we said the rapture is not so much a removal as it is a reunion, a reunion with loved ones and a reunion with our Lord. And so chapter four's teachings on the second coming are more about hope, joy, comfort, helping Christians realize that that we need to encourage one another in the fact that there is a hope of the second coming. All of chapter 4 is pointing us to hope. Now we get to chapter 5, and Paul's still going to address the second coming, but his tone has shifted. There's a change in focus. Now the focus is on unbelievers and the terror and the suddenness of the second coming on those that don't know Christ, and then how we as Christians live in relation to the second coming coming of Christ. So Paul really addresses two concerns we have as Christians. In chapter 4, he addresses the concern that we have as Christians of this. What happens to my loved one who's died? Will I see them again? How are they going to interact in this whole second coming of Christ? That's the question chapter 4 attempts to answer. Chapter 5's question is, is there justice? Is there a day of reckoning? Is there a day of judgment coming? And how do I get prepared for that coming day so the first deals with how to grieve we looked at that last week today's passage deals with how do we prepare for the second coming of christ so let's read together in chapter 5 of first thessalonians verses 1 through 11 and continue paul's train of thought as he talks about the coming of christ now concerning the times and the seasons brothers you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children, literally sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Here's the main point of Paul's passage before us. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Here's Paul's main point. We must encourage one another to be ready for Christ's return. We must encourage one another to be ready. Now, there's two words to jump out at you. Encourage and be ready. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us twice to encourage one another. That's how chapter 4 ended. Remember chapter 4, verse 18? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How does he end this section in verse 11 of chapter 5? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. So Paul's burden, kind of as a book in here, is the word to encourage one another, to build one another up, to to motivate, to, to help one another be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, it's interesting because this passage of Scripture nicely divides into three, three sections. There's three main sections or three main ways that you can break up this passage of Scripture. And the first section comes in verses 1 through 3. So here's what verses 1 through 3 teach. First of all, unbelievers will not be able to escape the judgment of Christ's return. Unbelievers will not be able to escape the judgment of Christ's return. Paul begins by saying, we really don't want to talk to you about times and seasons, brothers. We're not here to talk about setting dates like Harold Camping. My burden is not to give you the time or the season, uh, the exact date of Christ's coming. Uh, Even the Son of Man does not know that. So we're not going to get all wrapped up in dates. What I want to do is I want to give you two vivid images, Paul says, of how the second coming is going to come upon those that are not ready. And Paul uses two very vivid images. The first image is of a thief coming in the night. And the second image is of labor pains coming upon a woman suddenly. Two vivid pictures. But notice what Paul calls it. He says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, he calls it in chapter 5 the day of the Lord. In chapter 4, he called it the coming of Christ. And if, if you remember last week, I laid my cards on the table. I believe the second coming of Christ and the day of the Lord are the same event. I think Paul's talking about the same thing. The day of the Lord, not days of the Lord. The coming of Christ, not the comings of Christ. It's a, one, it's a one-time event, the, the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord, think about it this way. When you think about the second coming of Christ, two words used. The second coming That should evoke images in our mind as Christians of joy. It's our blessed hope. The second coming of Christ, he's coming back. Amen. Praise the Lord. For Christians, the coming of Christ is a joyous thing. But at the same time, the coming of Christ is also the day of the Lord. And that's a day of fear and terror for those that aren't ready. So it's it's the same event. The coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, it's it's the same thing. As a matter of fact, this word, day of the Lord, is used all throughout the Bible to speak of God's impending judgment coming upon the world. The very first time it was used was back in Amos, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. 
Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Now, that would be interesting, right? You're running away from a lion and you turn around, there's a bear. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Or he went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Joel 1.15 Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. So Paul is talking about the same event, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. For us as Christians, the second coming is a joyous event. As a matter of fact, it's called the blessed hope for those of us who are waiting for it. Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, waiting for our blessed hope. What's our blessed hope? What are we waiting for? He says the appearing, the coming of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ is the blessed hope who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, as Christians, the day of the Lord is not something to fear. It's a day of joy. It's a day of hope because what happens? The dead in Christ go first. We who are alive are caught up. We meet the Lord in the air. There's this cosmic reunion with the living Christ where we get to see him face to face. We encourage one another with the joy of seeing Jesus. For Christians, it's a day of joy. But Paul says for non-believers, for a lost person, it's not. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, remember last week I said a lot of Paul's teaching here comes from Jesus' teaching in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Listen to what Jesus says about his coming in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 43 through 44. But know this. This is Jesus speaking. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Son of Man is coming like a thief. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Now here's why it's going to come like a thief. Notice what Paul says there in verse 3. While people are saying there's peace, there's security, sudden destruction will come upon them. It's almost as if the world is blinded to the reality that Christ is coming back. There's nothing wrong. Peace, security. There's this false sense of security in things of the world. They, they've maybe put their stock in their 401k. They've put their stock in their stocks and bonds. They put stock, they put their faith, hope, trust, and all these things of the world to somehow give them a false sense of security. And in just one fell swoop, everything that they hold on to is going to be snatched away when Jesus comes like a thief. It's going to be like the days of Noah, Jesus says. In Matthew 24, continuing his, his, his teaching there, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37 and following, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they were living life as if there was nothing, nothing going on, nothing happening. 
until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The first image that both Jesus and Paul paint for us is a thief coming in the night. Unexpected. Unexpected. The second vivid image that Paul gives for us is labor pains. It will come as if labor pains on a woman. Notice there at the end of verse 3. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I've got a confession to make. I've never been in labor. Just making sure you're awake out there. But I've seen the birth of both of my sons. And I can't even begin to imagine what it is to go through labor as a woman giving birth. There's, there's pain involved. Even if you have an epidural, um, it takes away some of the pain. But childbirth is painful. And sometimes it comes upon suddenly. Like there's times where, you know, in the middle of the night, you get the, the little nudge, honey, it's time to go. It's, you know, we've we, we got to go. It's, I don't even know what's coming. The next thing you know, it's, it's on you. But thing, the thing about giving birth to a baby the labor's worth it. The labor's worth it. All the pain, all the hardship you go through, it's worth it because what do you get at the end? You get a beautiful baby. You, 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 can, you can live through the labor because you know what's going to be on the other side. I've got a baby. I've got a beautiful baby. But here's what Paul's saying. You don't get a beautiful baby. Unrepentant sin will give birth to judgment is what he's saying. There's going to be a birth, but it's not going to be a beautiful little baby. It's going to be judgment because what does Paul say there? At the end of verse 3, they will not escape. They're not going to escape. There's no second chance. It's going to be swift. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like labor pains. It's going to be like a flood in Noah's days. Christ's coming is going to be sudden. And the unbeliever, the person that's not placed their faith in Christ, they will not escape. Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 13, 6 through 8. Wail, cry, moan, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Some vivid imagery there of the day of the Lord. Revelation 16, 15. Listen to Jesus in Revelation. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. I want to issue a warning here this morning because I think the Scripture gives me permission to do that. If you are here this morning under the sound of my voice, and you have not trusted Christ for salvation. You've not repented of your sins. Maybe you're still trusting in those things of the world. You're trusting in a relationship. You're trusting in your money. You're trusting in your career. You're, you're trusting in something besides Jesus, whether it's a good thing. If you're trusting in anything else besides Jesus this morning, and you have not given those away, and you've not submitted yourself to King Jesus, you've not repented of your sins, confessed your sins, you've not trusted fully in Christ alone for salvation, I want to plead with you to do that today. Don't wait for the end of the service. Do it right now. Because the Bible is very clear. On that day, there will be no escape. There will be no escape. 
There's a day of judgment coming, and you will not escape that day. And and Jesus says, you'll be exposed, you'll be naked on that day. Isaiah says, you'll have a red face, you'll look aghast. There'll be this, this cry of anguish. I don't want anybody in this room, as your pastor, I do not want anybody in this room to have to experience that on that day. So would you please today, if you've never trusted Christ, would you come to him today? Would you believe in him alone for salvation? So that on that day, it's not going to surprise you like a thief. It's not going to surprise you like labor pains. You'll escape. You will escape the judgment. Because listen to what Jesus says in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Which means that if you don't trust in Jesus, God's wrath still remains upon you, and you can't escape. And that wrath will be fully into effect on the day of Christ's coming, the day of judgment. So please, please trust in Christ this morning. So point number one that Paul makes is unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever, you're not going to escape this day of judgment. It's going to come like a thief. It's going to come suddenly. It's going to come like labor pains. You will not escape. But now, secondly, he shifts gears and begins to address us as Christians. So here's what he says, and this is in verses 4 through 7. It's the second section here. In verses 4 through 7, Paul says, secondly, we should be alert and self-controlled in preparation for Christ's return. Two words there, alert and self-controlled. Let's read what Paul says. Notice how he starts verse 4. But you, but you, as opposed to unbelievers, I'm not talking about unbelievers anymore, I'm talking about you, you Christians, but you, you're not in darkness, brothers, for this day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, sons of light, literally, Uh, connoting this idea of being adopted into God's family. And Paul's going to give a contrast here. Paul's going to contrast two things. He's going to talk about being sleepy and being drunk. Or darkness versus light, drunkenness versus being sober. So so we can easily see the opposites, right? We know what's the opposite of light? Dark. What's the opposite of being sober? Being drunk. And Paul's going to use these metaphors. And he's saying that literally as children of light... We're, we're ones who are alert. We know what's going on. We should have a different lifestyle in preparation for Christ's return because we are literally sons and daughters of light, sons and daughters of the day. As a matter of fact, that's what Christ has saved us out of. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we've been transferred out of darkness into this new kingdom of light. We are children of light. And how do we act as children of light? Well, Paul goes on to tell us in Philippians chapter 2. How do you, how do you act as light in the world? Philippians two fifteen through 16. That you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Amen, we do. But what do we do? We shine as lights in the world. How do we shine as lights in the world? We hold fast to the word of light so that in the day of Christ, 
The day of Christ, the coming of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We shine as lights. We've been transferred out of darkness. We're in this kingdom of light. And in this crooked, dark world, we shine as lights. And Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Now Paul gives this metaphor. Two things happen at night. People sleep and people get drunk. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleeping, okay? Paul's not saying, thou shalt not sleep, okay? We need to sleep, okay? That's not his burden. His burden is to say, there's such a thing as being spiritually asleep and spiritually drunk. You can be spiritually asleep and spiritually drunk. Notice what he says in verse 6. So then, let us not sleep spiritually, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. My translation says sober, but literally the word there means self-controlled. That's the key word in this passage. He uses it twice. The word sober shows up in verse 6, and then it shows up again in verse 8, twice. Paul uses it for emphasis. Be self-controlled. In other words, live a life as a children of light that shows that you are morally, ethically, sexually, character-wise, pure, For the coming of Christ. You are shining as a light. You are living purely. You are living self-controlled. In other words, you're not drunk on the world. Now, there's a sense in which you can be drunk on the world. How do you get drunk on the world? You take in, you imbibe, if that's the word. You consume so much of the world, its idolatry, its ways, everything about the world that you take it in, that you get drunk on the world, that the next thing you know, what happens when you're drunk? It says you're under the influence. You get under the influence of the world. You get drunk on the world. And what happens to a person that gets drunk? What's what's alcohol do to a person when you get drunk? It's a depressant, right? And what do you end up doing? You get numb. Why do people drink? They drink to get numb to reality. And after a while, if you've drunk so much on the world, you can get, in the words of Pink Floyd, comfortably numb in this world and not realize that there's a day of judgment coming and there is judgment. It numbs you to reality. That's why Jesus says it again. Let's listen to it again, what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Therefore, stay awake. This is Jesus. Therefore, stay awake. He's saying the exact thing things Paul's saying. Paul's saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. They're both saying the same thing. Therefore, stay awake. Don't sleep. Spiritually, don't get drunk on the world. Be spiritually alert. Be self-controlled. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus' burden, Paul's burden here is be ready by being awake spiritually and how do you stay awake spiritually you stay awake spiritually by being sober how do you be sober you don't get drunk on the world you don't get drunk on on the things of the world you're alert you're vigilant you're self-controlled you're pure you're living as a child of light you're living as a son and daughter of the kingdom you're living in such a way that shows in a crooked and depraved world that you are different that you are truly belonging to christ that's how you get prepared you stay alert you stay you stay self-controlled listen to what paul says in another place in romans 
Romans 13, 12 through 14. Paul says it this way. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off or get rid of the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus. Live as a child of light. Now, speaking of armor, it leads us into the third section here. So what was the first thing that Paul said? Unbelievers will not escape the day of judgment. The second thing he said was, we prepare by being alert and self-controlled. But in this last section, verses 8 through 11, here's what Paul's main point is in this last section. We should constantly remind one another of the gospel in preparation for Christ's return. We should constantly be reminding one another of the gospel. Now, now let me unpack that for you because you may think, what's he talking about? What do we mean? What does it mean to remind each other of the gospel? Well, let's see how Paul does that. Paul links everything back to the gospel of our salvation. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Second time he uses that. Let us be self-controlled. Let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, this sounds very similar to Ephesians 6, the, the full armor of God. Now, he's only giving two pieces of armor here, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate. This is not where Paul's giving a full teaching on the armor of God. But notice what he calls it. He calls it the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope. Isn't Paul fond in this book, 1 Thessalonians, of using faith, hope, and love? So what he's talking about is our salvation. And it's very, very specific the way Paul words this in the original language. And you don't quite catch it in your English translations, but it's very important for us to understand. When Paul says there, having put on the breastplate of faith, you can read that and think, this is something that I've put on myself. I've put on the breastplate. I've put on the helmet. That's not the way it's worded in the original language. The way it's worded in the original language is that God has put it on you. It's a huge difference. Because in salvation, it's a gift of grace where God is the one that's given you salvation. God is the one that's given you the armor. God is gracing you with this. You don't produce this armor in and of yourselves. It's a gift of grace that God gives you. And so what Paul is saying is God has sovereignly in his grace clothed you with armor. And this armor represents your salvation. It's given to you as a gift of grace. It's interesting in the Old Testament how this imagery shows up because Paul here borrows from Isaiah 59. And as we read Isaiah 59, I want you to notice, interestingly, who puts the armor on. Isaiah 59, 16 through 17. Ask in your mind as I read this, who's putting the armor on? Okay, this is God speaking. Isaiah 59, 16 through 17. It's God speaking. He saw, this is God, God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, that's God's own arm, brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He, that is God, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, that is God. He, God, put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. 
Who's putting on the armor in the Old Testament here? God. It's very interesting that God is the one that's putting on the armor of salvation. Now, why is God doing that? It's very interesting. Isaiah says, God looked out and saw no human being able to intercede. There's no human being able to stand in the gap between a holy God and sinful people. And so it says, God's own arm worked salvation. God provided a mediator. How did God provide a mediator between himself as a holy God and sinful people? He provided it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. And so when God puts on the full armor of God, which is weird, when God puts on the armor of God, he does that as a way to say, I'm going to save sinners by sending Jesus to die in their place. And when I save them, I'm going to give them total salvation. I'm going to put it from their head to their feet, and I'm going to protect them with faith, hope, and love. They are going to have the full armor of God. And so it's none other here than a picture of absolute salvation absolute salvation. And for the Christian, we need to be constantly reminding each other, listen, Christian brother, listen, Christian sister, we are fully and totally saved. Aren't you glad we're not partly saved? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just die for half of our sins? He died for all of our sins, and he gave us his salvation. Verse 9 shows us the cause there. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed us, God has not destined us, Christians, for wrath. Now there's joy as a Christian in being destined for something different. Paul talks about the destiny of Christians, or he talks about being one of God's elect. Go back to chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He's chosen you. Verse 10 of chapter 1, To wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Because God chose you, and because God saved you, and because God loves you, and because God has put the full armor of God upon you, and God has graciously gifted you with salvation, your destiny is not hell. It's not wrath. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Answer, nobody. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Answer, nobody. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So if you're a Christian here this morning, God has a different destiny for you than he has for those that 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 day will come like a thief in the night. What is your destiny as a Christian? Your destiny is heaven. Your destiny is to see Jesus face to face. Your destiny is to be glorified with a new body, to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Your destiny is to be reunited with your loved one. Your destiny is to live in the new heavens and the new earth with a glorified body. Your destiny is to experience complete salvation because of the death of Christ. And Paul says that's the hope that we have at our salvation, at the coming of Christ. That's our destiny. That's our destiny. We are saved by grace. We're not destined for wrath. What's the second coming? 
What's the day of the Lord for those who've not trusted in Christ? Paul said earlier, they'll not escape. It'll come like a thief. It'll come like labor pains. But when he says you're not destined for wrath, he means that if you're not in Christ, your, your destiny is wrath. Zephaniah 1.15. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Romans 2, 5 through 8. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Listen to how Jesus describes his coming in the Gospel of Luke. We've looked in Matthew's Gospel, we've looked at Ephesians, we've looked at Thessalonians, Luke 21, 34 through 36. Watch yourselves, Jesus says, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, the cares of this life. And that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's the ultimate question you've got to ask. On that day when Christ comes, how will you be able to stand before Jesus? And the answer is found in verse 10. What's the only way you can stand before Jesus on that coming? Verse 10 says, Who died for us? so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Paul's saying that our hope is in the death of Christ. He died for us. He died for us. He died in our place. Whether we're awake or we're alive, meaning whether we've already died and in the grave or whether we're here at the coming, either way, because Christ has died for us, he's going to give us eternal salvation. Paul's saying never get over the death of Christ. Never get over your love for the gospel. And then he brings everything kind of to a close here in verse 11 by saying it again. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up as you're doing. He says it twice. Encourage one another with this. Build one another up with this. Solidify one another with this. Help. Come alongside. Love each other. Remind each other. Keep telling each other, this is not what we're living for. Keep encouraging each other. Keep reminding each other of Romans 5, 8. And nine, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Here's the great news that we need to be constantly reminding each other of. We need to be reminding each other of this news, that we are helpless, hopeless, hell-bound sinners that God has graciously in his sovereign mercy reached down and rescued us out of the pit of hell and given us eternal life forever to be with him. And instead of waiting for us to get our act together, instead of God saying, hey, you need to clean yourself up, you need to somehow be good enough, you need to do enough good works to somehow make this whole thing happen. No, God says, I look down and while you're still a sinner, while you're still helpless and hopeless, I loved you so much I'm going to send Jesus down to die for you even why you're still a sinner i'm not expecting you to get your act together i know that you're helpless i know that you're hopeless i know that you're a sinner that's the point the point is i've come to send jesus to save you and i don't know about you 
but I constantly need to hear this. The gospel never gets old to me. And here's what concerns me a lot of times. Let me just confess on Sunday mornings what concerns me sometimes. When I begin to preach the gospel, when I start getting into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the need for salvation, here's what often happens at Emmanuel Baptist Church on Sunday mornings. Some of you tune me out, and I know what you're thinking. I've already been saved, Pastor Sean. And you're not really talking about me. You're talking about the person next to me that needs to get saved. And so when the gospel's preached and we talk about the need for salvation, we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, some of you kind of tune me out and think, okay, let's get past this because he's talking to lost people, and then we'll get back to what he's saying. But here's the point. Whenever the gospel is preached, whenever we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, whenever we talk about our need for a Savior, whenever we talk about salvation, it's not just for unbelievers, it's for us as Christians. We need it. And as you hear those words, you should be leaning forward as if it's the very first time you've heard those words, and tears should be coming to your eyes because you should be thinking to yourself, I am saved by grace from a God who loves me, and I don't deserve it, but he sent Jesus to die for me, and this moves me to tears because I am such a sinner that does not deserve salvation. So what does Paul do here? What's going to sustain you? What's going to sustain you till the second coming? What's going to sustain you to stay alert? What's going to sustain you, sustain you to not get drunk on the world? What's going to sustain you to not get lulled into sleep? What's going to really, really sustain you at the end of the day? What's going to sustain you? What's going to help you? What's going to undergird you? It's going to be constantly reminding yourselves, constantly encouraging one another of the gospel, of your salvation. Notice what Paul doesn't say here. He could have said this, but Paul doesn't. Paul could have said this. Hey, Thessalonians. Jesus is coming back soon, so you better, get, you better hunker down and start pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You better get busy. You better start doing a lot of religious activity. You better start trying really hard to make sure that hopefully you're in it when Christ comes back. So you better start trusting in what you can do to somehow get yourself ready. That's not what Paul does. What does Paul do? Paul takes us back to the gospel. He says, listen, child of God. You've got a helmet of salvation. You've got a breastplate of righteousness. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Your destiny is not wrath. Your destiny is heaven. You will see the Lord one day face to face. We will meet him in the clouds. You'll be reunited with your loved ones. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. You're going to get a glorified body. There's the glorious joy of coming to meet Christ in the air. So here's the bottom line of what Paul's saying. And here's where Christians need to get careful Don't worry so much about dates and times and televangelists and prophecy experts and even things that you see in the news. Now, I'm not downplaying watching the news. I'm not downplaying looking at the signs of the time. But whatever's happening in Iran today may or may not have anything to do with the end times. It could come back. It could be a thousand years from now Christ could come back. He could come back tomorrow. Paul's burden is not to say, hey, get caught up and looking at the headlines, get caught up and looking at all these events. What Paul says is here's the issue. Your hope's not in Fox News. Your hope's not in what you see on Facebook. Your hope's not in your stocks and your bonds. Your hope is not in all these things that get you riled up. Your hope's in the gospel. Your hope's in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he's destined you not for wrath but for salvation. And listen, can we control how it's going to end anyway? Anybody here control the end? 
God's got a timetable. God's going to bring it to a close in the way that God wants to bring it to a close. And even then, you have no control of how it's going to end. So don't worry, Christian, about all the things that you're seeing. And don't get all freaked out. What Paul's saying here is encourage and build one another up and constantly remind each other of the gospel. And there's one thing that you can control. What's the one thing you, you can't control when Christ comes back? What's the one thing you can control? While we're waiting, the one thing you can control while we're waiting is to exhibit a lifestyle as a child of light, living out faith, hope, and love to a world around you. That's the one thing you can control, how you live. Are you going to live ready? Are you going to live sober? Are you going to live as a child of light? Are you going to live with an alertness? That's the one thing you can control. The rest of it you can't. You don't know when he's coming back. Even if things happen in the world, you you can't control all those things. The one thing you can control is how are you going to live in light of that? And are you going to encourage one another in light of that? So are you living in light? Play on words there. Are you living in light of the day of the Lord? It's coming, but are you living as children of light in in preparation for the day of the Lord? And so Paul's burden here is to therefore encourage each other. Let's keep pointing each other to Jesus. Not to dates, not to signs, not to all these things that may or may not happen. Let's encourage each other with the encouragement that comes from being saved by grace. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And if you are here this morning and you are not ready for the coming of Christ, and you know deep down in your heart that you're not ready, you know that you haven't trusted him for salvation, you know you haven't confessed your sin, that my, my encouragement, my plea would be right now, in this moment, in this very moment, would you make things right with your maker by crying out for salvation? crying out for God to save you. And here's the promise from the Bible. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you have a promise from the Bible that if you call upon Jesus to save you, he will save you from your sins. And this day, this future day of his coming, this day of the Lord will not be a day of terror for you. It will be a day of joy. For the Christian here this morning, maybe you just need to be reminded to be ready, to be alert, to be self-controlled and to live in light of the gospel. So spend some time this morning just reflecting, praying, doing whatever you need to do to get your heart to worship the Lord. We want, to, we want you to take this time to just truly worship and engage God. So spend some time doing that this morning. Before I pray, I just want to invite, if, if you are here this morning and you have not trusted in Christ for salvation, I will be up here at the front afterwards, and sometimes it's, you, you may feel a little uncomfortable coming up during the singing, but I want, if you need to talk to somebody after the service, or you need some questions answered, or you need someone to pray with you, I will be up here at the front. Pastor Andrew will be up here. Others will be up here. We don't want you to leave without talking to somebody about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And so right after that last song, if you want to just make your way up front here to talk to one of us, we'd, be, we'd love for you to come up and, and share with us so we can help you maybe answer some questions and pray with you. I just want to extend that invitation to you this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your 
in your house of worship, Lord, today to worship you. And, and Lord Jesus, we do know that there is a day of the Lord coming. There's the, there's the second coming of Christ, and it's, it's going to be a day of joy for us who are believers because we will get to see you face to face. We'll get to meet you in the air. We'll be transformed, caught up. It'll be a wonderful, joyous time. But Lord, for those that are not believers, it will be a day where they will not escape. And so, Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that are not yet believers, that today would be the day they believe. Father, give us the strength, the courage, the faith, the grace to be able to live self-controlled lives, to live pure, blameless lives, to live sober-minded, to live alert, to live truly as children of light in this crooked world. And Father, give us the strength to encourage one another with the gospel, encourage each other of salvation, to encourage each other that we have the breastplate of righteousness and salvation and, and on the armor of God that you've given us. And help us to encourage one another in that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.